Hey, good morning, Vista. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for continuing to wear your mask um, throughout the service. Hey, would you guys stand up? Let's worship together this morning.
presence of the Lord is here. We can feel it in the atmosphere. We've come to meet you face to face. The Spirit of the Lord is here. We can feel you drawing near. We've come to meet you face to face. We've come to sing your praises. We've come to lift your name. We've come to bow in Darkest day in history. There on a cross and made for sinners. For every curse is blood atoned. Final breath and it was finished. 
but not the end we could have known. For the earth began to shake, and the veil was torn. What sacrifice was made as the heavens Jesus, we hail you, King of kings and Lord of lords. We give you all glory and honor and praise today because you're worthy. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us on your way down. Give somebody around you uh, air high five and then Austin's going to come out. Good morning, everybody. 
It is great to see you here today at the Vista. If we have not met before, my name's Austin. I get to serve here as one of our lead pastors, and if it's your first time, we are especially glad that you joined us. Um, before we jump in, a reminder that next Sunday, we are going to the next phase of our reopening here at the Vista. We'll have Vista Kids open back up. That's three years old through fifth grade. We are really, really excited about it, and this isn't really for you. Some of you are like, yeah, the, you're tired of wrangling my, my two-year-old. I understand. I got a couple, too. Um, if you've got like a friend maybe who hasn't come back because they're like, ah, you know, it's just hard and it's not convenient yet, maybe just give them that, you know, little nudge and say, hey, you know, it's never really like convenient. And we don't come to church because it's convenient. We come because it's good for us and Jesus asked us to do it, okay? And so if you've got some friends, we've all got them, I've been there, who need that nice, loving little nudge off the cliff this week, maybe give them that little nudge because we're rocking and rolling, doing things responsibly and wisely, but you know, if it's time to be back with your church family, then make that decision. Maybe you encourage your friend to do that this week. Today, today we are in the third week of our series called Us For Them. It's a series where we are trying to put to death the story of us versus them. And us versus them is a story that you know very well because you hear it all the time and you tell it to yourself every single day, right? It's me versus my spouse, me versus my boss, me versus my kids, me versus my coworkers, conservatives versus progressives, Republicans versus Democrats, on and on and on it goes, right? Because Satan is the original antagonist, the father of hostility, and we, we are his antagonistic sons and daughters, aren't we? Oh, yeah, constantly telling ourselves that they are the problem and we're the solution, constantly telling ourselves that it's all their fault. It's always all their fault, whoever they, there is for you. Yeah. And yet while Satan whispers these petty antagonisms into our ears, Jesus speaks to us deep within the depths of our hearts. And he tells us the much deeper truth, doesn't he? The truth that they are not the problem, we are. The truth that they are not the problem, I am. I'm the problem. You're the problem. That's what Christian maturity sounds like. Not them, 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 they, 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 us, we, me. I'm the problem, okay? And so if you got your Bibles, we're going to continue on in our series today. In the Gospel of Matthew, we'll be in Matthew chapter 9. We will uh, barely get into chapter 10 there. Matthew 9, we'll start in verse 35. As we always say, parents, don't worry about your kiddos. We're family. There's no need to be embarrassed. You couldn't distract me if you try to have three kids five years old and younger, and they are all in this service. <laughs> so Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. That's a good sentence, yeah? Now, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited. I love this phrase, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. I want you to pay attention here, okay? The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and then Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, okay? So here in our text today, uh, we have this richly symbolic moment wherein Jesus first kind of officially assembles his team, right? The 12 apostles. And I love the way Matthew puts it in chapter 10, verse 1. He says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and he gave them authority. <clears throat> and I just love that word summons. Anybody else? Because it's a very brash word, isn't it? Right? Like if you summon somebody, you best have some swag. Like any of you husbands ever tried to summon your wife? It, it probably did not go well for you. When I tried to summon my wife, it's, mm, you want to try again? You do not summon me. I summon you. Yes, ma'am. But Jesus has a bit more swag than I do. And so we're told he summons his disciple. He's not asking, right? He's telling. And what he tells them is that he is sending them out into this lost and hurting world with his authority and on his mission. 
Okay, he gives them authority to cast out demons and to heal every kind of disease and sickness. And this is significant because it's what he's been doing in the rest of chapter 9. And so Jesus says, hey, I am sending you out into the world to do what I do. You're my ambassadors. You're going to go show the world what I do when I show up, what the world looks like when God's running the show. And that all sounds pretty awesome, right? I mean, casting out demons, healing every kind of disease and sickness, wielding that divine Authority. Sounds good. And so the apostles, you know, they're very excited about all this. And they are excited right up until the time that Jesus starts his roll call for all the people who will be included on this mission. Okay, first off in the, uh, the apostles draft, we have Peter. Right? And Peter makes sense. He's no brainer. You know, he's the alpha dog, the leader among leaders. He's LeBron, right? He's not Steph. He's not Giannis. They're sitting at home right now. He's LeBron. He's the top dog. Second, we have Andrew, who is Peter's brother. Now, the interesting thing about Andrew is we learn from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, that Andrew was originally a disciple of John the Baptist. Okay? So he was actually probably a part of this group called the Essenes. The Essenes. The Essenes were this group known for having a posture of withdrawal, for thinking that the best way to be faithful to God was kind of separating yourself from the world to a certain extent. Okay? Then after Peter and Andrew, we have two more brothers, James and John, and then Philip Bartholomew and Thomas, none of whom we know too much about. They're like the, the foreign players taken at the end of the second round of the NBA draft. We've only seen grainy YouTube footage of them. We've heard they're good, but we just don't know, all right? But then we have our first real head scratcher, okay? The first real reach in the apostles' draft. Jesus selects Matthew, the tax collector. Now, we've talked a bit over the years about how despised tax collectors were in the ancient Jewish world, they were viewed as these vile, corrupt sellouts and thieves who had conspired with the evil Roman Empire to get taxes on their own people and then line their pockets by taking more than they were supposed to, right? Completely despised people. Next up, we have James and the other Thaddeus, two more dudes we really don't know much about. And then comes our next big surprise, okay? Jesus summons Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Now, zealots were these... Uh, revolutionary freedom fighters who had roots stretching back to the first century. And they believed that you should fight fire with fire, and they were all for a violent takedown of the Roman Empire, okay? And so let's, let's focus in on three people in particular. Right? Andrew the Essene, Matthew the tax collector, and Simon the zealot, okay? Now, Andrew the Essene, he thinks that withdrawal from Rome is the answer, Matthew, the tax collector, he thinks compromise with Rome is the answer. And Simon the Zealot, he thinks war with Rome is the answer. So these three dudes, they don't think the same. They don't feel the same. They don't vote the same. They probably could not stand each other, right? I mean, Andrew, think about it. Andrew is so pumped to be on the team. He was a second draft pick, probably because he was LeBron's brother, but he's still excited that he was the number two draft pick. He's got bragging rights. Until he sees the other people Jesus calls. Until he sees that Jesus calls Matthew the sellout and Simon the psychopath. Right? And Andrew's like, Jesus, you're choosing those dudes? Those dudes are on the team too? Those dudes suck. Why are they on the team? i got a long list of alternates that would be much better than them. I promise you, i got it right here in my pocket. And God only knows what Matthew and Simon thought, right, when they heard each other's names called. Because there probably weren't two dudes in the whole nation of Israel who disagreed about more than Matthew, the compromising tax collector, and Simon, the revolutionary zealot. It would be like nowadays if Jesus said, you know, the next two members on the team will be uh, Rachel Maddow and Sean Hannity. Can you imagine? They would both be like, oh, no. Can't do it, Jesus. Can't do it. Can't be on the team. Just say, hey, listen, I need to remind you, this is my team, right? I summoned you. You didn't summon me. Not only are you both on the team, but you're going to be bunkmates. And if you keep it up, I'm going to make you hold hands the whole time. Don't make me crawl in that back seat and make you hold hands the whole time, okay? So now let's, 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 let's zoom back a little bit and see the bigger thing that Jesus is doing here. So Jesus summons 12 people as a sign that he's fulfilling God's promise to the 12 tribes of Israel, Right? He's the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. And he summons 12, um, <clears throat> shall we say, dissimilar, contradictory people 
as a sign that he is fulfilling God's promise to undo the sinful divisiveness and antagonizing that has plagued humanity since Adam and Eve first turned on each other in the Garden of Eden. In other words, Jesus did not choose these 12 people despite their differences. No, he chose them because of their differences, okay? Not despite their differences, because of their differences, because the overcoming of their differences is a sign that Jesus' gospel is the good news of the redemption and the reunion of humanity. And I'll say that again. The gospel is the good news of the redemption and the reunion of humanity. Now, here's how Peter Lightheart says it. He says, divided humanity is reunited as the family of the heavenly father and the body of the son as the temple of the spirit. The church is reunited humanity, the social manifestation of the gospel. The church is salvation itself in social form. Okay? And I don't know about you, but I get goosebumps when I hear this stuff. I do. I geek out on this stuff. Right, y'all, the church, you know what we are? We are reunited humanity. We're what the gospel looks like. People should be able to walk in here, to walk into your small groups, to interact with you, to walk in here and go, oh, this is what the gospel looks like. All this abstract stuff about God became a man and he died in forgiveness of sins. Yeah, da, da, da. Oh, I get it now. This is what the gospel looks like. This is what it does. It's the reunion of humanity. That's a party that I want to be a part of. Amen. And it's awesome. And the only problem with it is that quite often we're not what the gospel looks like, right? We're not. Far too often we are not the reunion of humanity. But instead we're we're something like the exact opposite a lot of the time. Now back in 2008, a reporter um, just down the road in Austin wrote a really interesting book. The book was called The Big Sort, Why the Clustering of Like-Minded America is Tearing Us Apart. And as the title suggests, the simple and rather indisputable observation at the heart of the book is that modern American society is going through an unprecedented sorting, okay, in which we are all mostly unintentionally surrounding ourselves with people who are like us. You and I are more surrounded by sameness than any generation in generations. And you might be a little bit skeptical, I understand. So I'll give you one little stat from the world of politics. It's very interesting. So in the 1976 election, almost 50 years ago, only 25% of Americans lived in landslide counties. Okay, meaning counties where there was a huge victory for Republicans or Democrats, only 25% of Americans, which means that 50 years ago, right, the overwhelming majority of Americans lived in counties where there was lots of political diversity, lots of Republicans, lots of Democrats, lots of Libertarians, lots of Independents, you name it. But over the last 50 years, American communities have been getting less and less diverse, more and more politically segregated, And in the 2016 election, over 60% of Americans now lived in landslide counties. It's incredible, right? So think about this. Over the last 50 years, or 50 years ago, most Americans were surrounded by lots of people who did not think or vote like them. That was normal. Now, most Americans are surrounded by people, literally, geographically, physically, by people who all think and vote like they do. So that's what's happened. Now, how did it happen? And perhaps more importantly, what are the consequences, right? So how it happened is actually pretty simple. We're gonna have to do a little crowdsourcing show of hands here. All right, how many of you, it's Friday night, you're given the choice, you got a babysitter, it's free, you can hang out as long as you want, okay? You can choose to hang out with your best friend who agrees with you about everything, or you could choose to hang out with a stranger who disagrees with you about everything. Show of hands, how many of you would hang out with your best friend? Yeah, all, right, all of us. And it's not because we're like terrible people or something like that. No, it's just because given the opportunity to choose what we want, we do. And what we want 
is usually sameness. If you're given the opportunity to choose who you want to be around, you're going to choose to be around people who are like you. And that amplified onto a social level is what has happened in modern American society. Thanks to technology and transience, we all have an unprecedented ability to choose where we want to live. And we do, and we choose to live around people who are like us, even though we mostly don't know that's what we're doing. I'll give you an example. When Allison and I bought our first house, uh, it was near UMHB's campus in Belton in this neighborhood that was really pretty diverse, racially diverse, socioeconomic diversity, age diversity, like you name it, it was very diverse. And so when we decided to buy our new house over here in West Temple, kind of toward the lake, we weren't like trying to get away from people who were different than us. We weren't trying to surround ourselves with people who were the same as us. No, we just, we got to choose where we wanted to live. And we did, and we kind of subconsciously chose a neighborhood with lots of people who ended up being a lot like us. Any of you ever had that happen? You just kind of walk out the front door on your first day in the new neighborhood, you look around and you go, all these people look just like me. They have the same cars, their kids look like my kids. It's weird, right? And again, it's not intentional, it's not malicious, it's just kind of what we do. Given the opportunity to choose, we do, and we usually choose sameness. Right, so that's how it's happened. And now more importantly, what are the consequences? What are the consequences of me and you being surrounded by people who think, vote, feel, live like we do? Well, let's do another show of hands. Any of you feel like the world is just changing at like a crazy pace right now? Yeah, you know how Bob Dylan would say it. The, the times, they are changing, right? They are. But of course, what's really ironic is that while things are changing, they absolutely are, we're actually more surrounded by sameness than ever before, okay? So over the last 50 years, things have been changing. They are, no doubt about it. But one of the primary ways that things have changed is that you are more surrounded by people who think, vote, and live like you than any generation in generations, okay? And the unintended consequence of all this is that you and me, we have a much lower capacity for dealing with conflict in a healthy way. We have a much lower capacity for dealing with conflict in a healthy way because just think about it. Dealing with conflict in a healthy way, it's like a muscle that you build up through use, right? You use it or you lose it. And most of our healthy conflict muscles have gone into atrophy because we just really don't have to use them much anymore because we are surrounded by sameness, instead of working through our conflicts, you know, person to person, eye to eye, mano a mano, we work through our conflicts by yelling at strangers on the internet. Right, that's modern conflict management. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get real chesty and bold behind some Facebook comment or watch my favorite, you know, social media commentator say something across the TV. That, that's modern social conflict. And so now let's connect some dots here and let's discuss why all of this is such an enormous problem for the church, why it is a betrayal of the gospel that is undermining the church's mission, because it is. So if you've read through the Bible even a little bit, you have probably noticed that it is filled with teachings on conflict resolution. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, the New Testament, it's just filled, every single page, it's like, here's what you do when somebody does this, here's what you do when somebody does that filled with advice on how to reconcile people who are deeply at odds, you know, how to discipline and submit to discipline, how to argue the right way. And the Bible's teaching on conflict resolution are bound to sound really strange to modern people like you and me because we don't really need to resolve our conflicts, right? And we don't really need to resolve our conflicts because instead of resolving them, we can just leave, right? We can just leave. I mean, why would you do that painful, patient work of resolving conflict, of working through things and considering how you might need to repent, of helping others work through things and helping them consider how they might need to repent? Why would you do all that? Because it's hard and it's messy and it takes forever. Why would you do all that? When you could just leave and go to another church three streets down that's filled with people who all think just like you do. Why would you bother? I certainly know which option sounds easier to me. I'll give you an example from our church. Uh, about a year ago, it's a true story. 
Dave and I had two separate people come into our offices separately. They had never met each other, right, at the very same time to tell us they were leaving our church for the exact opposite reasons. I kid you not. So as this one person is in my office telling me that they're leaving because they felt we had not been empowering enough of women in leadership, the other person is in Dave's office telling him that they are leaving because they, have, that they feel we have been too empowering of women in leadership. I kid you not. We both walked out and I was like, man, how was your meeting? Mine was rough. They're leaving for this. Oh, really? Mine was rough too. They're leaving for that. They ought to, they ought to talk in the parking lot or something. Maybe they can figure this thing out, you know? And I tell you this story. Not because there's never a good reason to leave a church. There are. You know, if your pastor does something blasphemous, like he's a Spurs fan or something like that, that would be fine. You should leave. Go, Mavs, go. Um, no, I tell you this story simply to observe that, you know, we, we modern Christians, we just don't have to make it work in the way that ancient Christians did. We just don't. I mean, when there was an argument in the ancient church. You get mad. They did get mad. These were ancient people. They go to blows over this stuff, right? You get mad. You get angry. But there really wasn't anywhere for you to go, right? There was like one church in your city. What were you going to do? Walk your stubborn butt 300 miles to the next church, you know, in a different town on a Sunday? So you get mad. It's fine. You get furious. I'm so mad at you. I hate you. This is blasphemy. I can't believe you. See you on Sunday? Yep, see you on Sunday. Save my seat. Because when there's nowhere to go, what are you forced to do? You work it out. We don't have to work it out. All that to say, y'all, we're supposed to be the reunion of humanity. <laughs> That's what Jesus said. But instead of creating the space for that family reunion to happen, far too often, we've just created further divorce in here. That's what we've done. And we have found all sorts of ways to justify it. You know, doctrine, politics, blah, 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 blah. But we need to just call it what it is. It's sin. Capital S, sin, that's what it is. And it's mostly unintentional sin. I know, trust me, I know. I'm as guilty of it as anybody is. It's unintentional. It's just that given the choice to choose, we do, right? And we usually choose sameness. And that choice <clears throat> over time is undoing the redemption and reunion of humanity. That is what we exist to be. Two weeks ago, <clears throat> I'm sitting in my office and I get a, uh, a phone call from my wife. And she's crying hysterically and she tells me, you've got to come home right now. I've lost Davis, our three-year-old. He's been gone for 20 minutes and I can't find him. Okay, so I jump in the car, boom, I race home. <clears throat> and y'all, when I turn onto my street, it looked like a scene like out of The Fugitive. You know what I mean? There are cop cars everywhere. There's like a whole search party running up and down the street yelling his name, Davis, Davis, Davis. And so I speed into our driveway. I run into the woods behind our house hoping I'm gonna find him there. Can't find him. Run back to the house, clear it with three police officers. Can't find him anywhere. You know, we think we're gonna find him. He's gonna be under a chair, under a table somewhere. Can't find him anywhere. At this point, he's been gone for like 30 to 40 minutes and my heart sinks because it's just clear that he ain't here. We would have found him. He is not here. And so I walk out the front door and I call his name one last time, Davis. And ever so faintly, I hear a little rustling in the bushes about six inches from the front door. And I said to myself, no, there's no way his stubborn little butt has been a foot from the front door this whole time. But I get down on my hands and knees and I look and there, staring back at me, with the guiltiest smile you have ever seen in your entire life is Davis, my three-year-old. He's up there right now. And parents, listen to me. You should never beat your children, okay? But in that moment, I understood how it happened. I didn't do it, but I get how it happens, you know? And so I grab him up out of that bush and I hug him so tight before grounding him for life, you know? <laughs> And as the puzzle pieces came together, it became clear that what had happened is he'd stolen an egg out of the refrigerator, thrown it up against the wall of the house because that's what violent, destructive little boys do. So when he heard mom calling for him, he knew he was going to get in trouble for the egg, so he hid. Makes sense. Then to his mind, the situation escalated pretty quickly because next thing he knew, mom had called out the whole neighborhood and even the cops to come find him for breaking the egg. And so his three-year-old brain is going, so it's like that, huh, mom? It's like that. You're going to call out the cops on me for breaking the egg. Well, if it's going to be like that, 
than your boy hiding because I'm not going to prison for this. I'm too young to be in prison, so it looks like I'm going to be living in this bush until whenever everybody's gone, okay? And I tell you that story because when I plucked him out of that bush and this little search party came running over, it was this hilarious and surreal and awesome scene because standing shoulder to shoulder in this little rag tag search party, um, there was, you know, a white police officer and a black construction worker. There was a stay-at-home mom and a working grandma. There was a college student and our mailman somehow got involved. You know, <laughs> I don't know. They were very different people. They'll be voting differently come November, I promise you. But they were gladly working together because they were on a mission. Right? They were on a mission to find a lost and now found and indefinitely grounded little boy. And so I want you to look around for a second. I know you can only see half of each other's faces, but I want you to look around and all these people in here. Y'all, we've got a really long way to go as a church. We do. But one of the things I love most about this church is that it is filled with people who aren't like you. This church is filled with people who aren't like me. And Jesus has summoned us here together, right? It's not your team, it's his team. Not despite our differences, but because of them. Because we, this, we're the reunion of humanity. Which is why I agree with David Fitch, and we'll leave it at this. A church that agrees with me on everything is the last church that I would ever want to be a part of. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for today. Thank you for the gift of Jesus, of our forgiveness, of our redemption. We confess that um, in a lot of ways we have taken that redemption and what is supposed to be the reunion of all people, all races, you name it. It's been united in Jesus and instead we've just found all these self-righteous reasons to divide and to cluster up with people who think like us, vote like us, live like us. And we just pray that you'd help us to repent. You would help us to receive that deeper work of the gospel, what was so powerful in the beginning was the gospel brought together people who didn't belong together. And we pray that you would help us receive that fresh this morning and we would carry it out into our world this week. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna give ourselves a few moments to respond now. What that means is a few moments to just slow down, be here where your feet are. Don't think about brunch, lunch, Sunday night, football, Monday, just be here. Let the Spirit of God do a deeper work on your heart. You can stand and sing, you can sit and pray. Maybe you need to receive prayer. Maybe God has done a little something in your heart this morning and you need to talk to somebody about it. Talk to somebody about what it means to follow Jesus and be a part of this big reunion. We've got people in front of the sound booth who would love to talk to you, respond however you want, but you'll never get this moment back. So let's use it and respond together as a church family.
Seat. Got a couple things to let you know about as we go. Uh, first off, next weekend we're hosting an event called Prayer School with Brian Zond. Uh, it's three 90-minute sessions, one on Friday night, two on Saturday morning. They'll just kind of walk you through some simple habits of prayer that I think you're going to find really helpful. So it's free. You just have to make sure you RSVP, so jump on that as quickly as possible. Second, this is Hunger Action Month. Uh, we're joining with Helping Hands to help provide some meals for families in need. We're, we're getting close to our goal, but we could still use a little bit. And I think like if just every family in here did $20, we'd hit our goal just like that this morning. And so if you are able to do that, we would really appreciate it and meet our goal today. Uh, and then third, a reminder that we are switching our service times a little bit in order to try to accommodate as many people as possible. So basically we're shifting times up a little bit and also getting a fourth service in on Sunday morning. So the new service time starting next week, the fourth will be eight o'clock, 9.15, 10.30, and 11.45. You see middle school there will be at 9.15, high school at 10.30. We're really excited about it to just get things rolling towards something like normal again. And so make sure that you RSVP uh, this afternoon if you wanna make sure you can attend the service that you would like to. Finally, our action step, something specific we can all do this week. Take note of the ways you have surrounded yourself with sameness. Be a source of reunion instead of a source of division wherever you find yourself, okay? Vista, we love you. Go out into the world this week with courage, curiosity, compassion. Be a source of reunion, not division. Show the world the love of Jesus. We'll see you back here on Sunday. If you're on the floor, you can go ahead and kind of dismiss yourselves. If you're in the raised sitting, just hang tight for a few seconds while the floor gets cleared, then you can dismiss yourselves as well.